Welcome, everybody. So are you tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Well, you've come to the right place. Here we cut through the world of surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths. Here we dive into the dark waters where strange creatures move. Here we're free to be that foolish knight who lunges at windmills and who lights up the world with his magical vision. It's all too much, says George Harrison. That's true. But all the more reason to jump into it and intoxicate yourself with life's infinite profusion. After all, you don't discover new lands by sticking close to the shore, do you? This is the wisdom of, and coming up today, Thanatos, the fear of and the desire for death. How's it going, everybody? I hope all is well. Okay, so in this episode, I thought I'd try to say something about our about our different sorts of uh, of attitudes or relations to death. Well, okay, so um, let's just jump right into it. So first of all, and I've talked a bit about this before, but I think it's important to uh, spend a bit more time on, and that is our thanatophobia. And uh, what's that exactly? Well, Thanatos was the, uh, the Greek god of death. So uh, knowing this, Thanatophobia is precisely what you'd expect. It's our fear of death. Now, this uh, fear of death, it's pervasive. And we know this in part because, because of our many noticeable attempts to try to uh, circumvent it or to, to find strategies to, to compensate for it. I mean, if you doubt that, let's consider just a, a few of these strategies throughout history. So uh, if we go back to our primitive origins, we see that one way of uh, circumventing death was to essentially identify with the, with the larger tribe to which we belonged. In this way, we lived on after our uh, individual exit, insofar as the, as the collective of which we were a part of continued on. Okay, well now another strategy was to, uh, to simply deny death or to rebel against it. And here I'm, uh, I'm thinking in particular of the ancient Egyptians. I mean, think about all that embalming, and think about uh, the personal tombs, and then the pyramids. I mean, what's all that about, if not the view that the dead are not really dead? And then there's, um, there's Socrates' explanation of death. So, what does he say? Well, what he says is that death is either really just a kind of a nice long sleep, or it involves the freeing of our immortal soul from the shackles of the body. And of course, that the soul lives on after our uh, physical death is picked up by Christianity into the medieval ages. And uh, in Indian thought, what do you get? Well, you get the idea of the soul or the Atman 
that seeks oneness with Brahman, with that which is uh, immortal and absolutely real. Actually, you know, Schopenhauer too, influenced by Indian philosophy, counseled us to find consolation from death by merging with what he called the cosmic will. And then, of course, there's all those uh, supposed elixirs of life, beginning with Gilgamesh's search for the magical plant that will ensure him his immortality, right up to our, our own fountains of youth, from uh, plastic surgery to uh, super-duper multivitamins to transhumanism. Anyway, you get the point. Confronted by death, confronted by our fate, we have come up with innumerable ways of trying to get around the problem. Death is simply not an option. This disease needs a cure. We need to get rid of this um, spectral shadow that spreads out over us. Okay, but, um, but all this said, at the same time as we fear death, we also seem to, um, to, to secretly invite it. That's to say, we seem to have what uh, Freud called a death drive. You see, Freud believed that we have a, a deeply rooted instinct for uh, disintegration. We have an urge to die. More specifically, for him, what the death drive is, is the tendency inherent in all organic living things to return to an inorganic state. It's to return to that state of silence that predated our birth. After all, as, uh, as Freud himself says, inanimate things existed before living ones. Now that's basically why Freud says that the aim of all life is death. Now, to get more specific, the reason that Freud uh, posited the death drive is because he, he just didn't think that the motives for pleasure and for self-preservation, although important, could explain everything, could explain all of human behavior, all of the, uh, the rich multiplicity of life, as he puts it. In particular, our, our drive for, uh, for unification or pleasure couldn't explain why it is people behave to their own detriment or, or sabotage their own lives. And it couldn't explain, well, just the, the awesome scale of human destructiveness. I mean, just look at the horrors of World War I and the, the senseless slaughter of 16 million people there. Actually, you know, it's no surprise, Freud developed his, his death drive under the direct impact of World War I. Anyway, Freud thought that as soon as you, as you think about these sorts of historical atrocities, you just have to bow down humbly before the obvious truth of the death drive. Bow down to Thanatos, the god of death. But, you know, what's really interesting about Freud's... Um, death drive to me, if it's true, is that death is not something that befalls us from the outside, so to speak, but rather it's something that's an inherent part of our very being, something that, well, in some sense, we do to ourselves. Sure, consciously, we might be doing everything we can to lengthen our lives, but unconsciously, we're all looking for the shortest path towards decomposition. Actually, you know, 
Freud wasn't the only thinker to, to posit this uh, destructive drive in us. The, the psychologist Eric Fromm said this. He said that the reason that we welcome total destruction is because we don't love life enough. Now, what he meant was that because our modern lives are, are basically superficial, that is, because what we really just care about is pleasure and distraction, our lives lack the substance and the meaning that would prevent us from destroying ourselves and others. It's just too easy not to care and to truly connect with others when, um, as Marx said, we're governed by a commodity fetishism. You know, all this reminds me a bit of what the, uh, the philosopher Hegel says. He says that to exist, to be, is to be limited and incomplete. To exist is to die. The only thing that's uh, unlimited and complete, well, that's to not be. It's non-existence. So maybe then this is what partly explains our death drive. Namely, our desire for death is a desire for, for ultimate completion and perfection. A way out of our limited condition. Or, um, to put it all another way, maybe, life is a temporary aberration which has cut us off from the primal stasis which was the perfection of non-existence. This is why, deep down, we pine for non-being. Okay, but, um, Enough of all this fear of and uh, desire for death stuff. I can only talk about it for so long before uh, I start to yearn for non-being myself. So uh, let's end on a more positive note, shall we? So what should we do, to quote Camus, about the uh, cruel mathematics that command our condition? Well, to stay with Camus for a moment... How about we nourish ourselves by the wine of the absurd? That's to say, instead of spending our time trying to uh, fend off death, or instead of looking for ways to destroy ourselves and others, why don't we just lucidly face the finitude that is our reality and use it as fuel to sustain and grow the flame that is our brief life? After all, as uh, Camus says, there is no real joy of life without despair of life. And if we're really truly honest about our own finitude like this, then we'll also come to see that actually we all share in the same hopeless adventure. But this shouldn't be cause for destruction. No, it should be a call for solidarity. If we all share the same lifeboat, united by a common fate, then it's clearly better to love one another and work together than to abandon each other or to uh, recoil into an inanimate condition. I don't know. At the end of the day, it seems to me that, in a way, both our, our death drive and our fear of death are really the, the consequences of a longing to escape this life as it is. But, um, here's the thing. How can real happiness ever take root then? It seems that if we truly want to love this life and be happy in it, 
we have to learn to cultivate a love and a joy that seeks perfection in the strivings and the sufferings and the imperfections of this world. We have to ground our home in the temporal, amidst the winds of change. We have to welcome and love all the scars and the wrinkles and the ravages of time. We have to affirm life so much that we both have to love growing old and also at the same time fight to hold on as long as we can. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. 